Thank you. Turn your Bible to Luke chapter 16. We've been using the Apostles' Creed to study the Bible. The Apostles' Creed is not the Bible, but the Apostles' Creed is a summary of essential Christian doctrine. So we've said it's super helpful to have clarity on, hey, what really matters? Well, I believe a, a bit here and a bit there. Well, there's plenty of freedom and there's plenty of open discussion or, or hot debate among Christians on different subject matter. But there's some things that are core that, that to say you're a Christian means you believe these things. Or if you don't, you will soon because you're just new and you're still learning and that's okay too. But we've been walking through the Apostles' Creed to see what do we, what is a believer supposed to believe. I'm going to read it right now to you, the entire creed. At the end of the service, we'll read it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Did we bring my water? Bubba, can you go get it? Thank you, son. So today where we are in the creed, we're at, he descended to hell the third day he rose again from the dead. So he descended to hell is one that's you know, important to explain because there's been a lot of confusion around it. Um, as, the, as the language has been changed over the years and the original writing of it, it was he descended into Hades. But even then, what are we talking about? What does that mean? We're not going to do a super deep dive here. Why? Well, because the scripture doesn't give us a ton to work with on the subject matter. But we have enough, so we might be like a rock skipping across the top of the water on this particular portion, but we're going to put our emphasis on the most important thing, which is Jesus' resurrection. Thank you, my man. So I want you to turn your Bible to Luke chapter 16. Did I already tell you that? I'll go there too now. Luke chapter 16 and verse 19. We're going to read verses 19 through 31. The rich man and Lazarus is the, is the story that Jesus is telling here. There was a rich man. So Jesus is talking. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. This is a miserable scenario. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried and was in Hades being in torment. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus, that's the poor man Lazarus, at his side. So already you might be saying, what's going on here? Well, that's a great question. What in the world is going on here? We've got Abraham... We've got Lazarus. So if we've got Abraham, we also know we have all of the Old Testament saints. Anybody who believed in, in, in the Messiah by faith who was saved, they didn't go to heaven. They went to this place that's come to be known as Abraham's side. It's been called Abraham's bosom. It's been called paradise. This is a place of comfort. This is a place of peace. This was a place of security. It was a place for God's people. So they're absolutely secured by faith, by the grace of God, 
and they're comforted, but they can't yet enter into heaven. Well, why not? Well, you can't enter into the presence of God yet because the blood of Christ hasn't yet been shed. He has not yet opened the way. Nobody goes to the Father except through him. So they had by faith attained that place. So this is a temporary thing. This is not to be confused with some purgatory. You can't change your destiny at this point. Wherever you are when you die, you will be. You're either secure. In the old covenant, you were secure in Abraham's bosom to be later delivered all the way into heaven with the Lord Jesus himself, or you were going to be in torment. So this is what we see. The rich man is in torment, and Lazarus, who had put his faith in the Lord, we see them separated So the rich man, he calls out, Father Abraham, in verse 24, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. So they can see each other. They can communicate with each other. This is a bit weird. Let's be honest, right? It's a bit strange. And yet Jesus is talking, and this is exactly what the scenario was. We don't know what the realms were like. We don't know what the chasm was like. We don't know what the divide was like. But we know that there was a a degree of interaction that could take place there. So this is the realm of the dead, as as the Old Testament saints would have understood it. So they weren't unconscious. When you die, you're not unconscious. Your physical body obviously is, but you don't lose consciousness. You're still aware and you're still somewhere. Everybody is somewhere at all times and they're conscious of it. And this is what we see happening. So the rich man is begging for mercy. He's pleading to Father Abraham. But Abraham said, child, verse 25, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father. So the rich man, I beg you, send, send Lazarus to my father's house. This is not the Lazarus who Jesus would raise from the dead. This is a different Lazarus. But send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them lest they may also come to this place of torment. So he's saying, please, let Lazarus be resurrected. Go warn my brothers so that this wouldn't happen to them. In hell, people are even pleading still for mercy for others to go, I deserve this, I know that, but let somebody else be spared from this. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Well, Moses is literally with Abraham. Moses is over there with all the Old Testament. David is over there, every Old Testament saint who put their faith in the Lord. Rahab... They're all over here with Abraham. He says, but they have Moses. What does he mean? He means they have the scriptures, the scriptures from Moses. They have Moses and the prophets. Well, all the prophets are literally technically with Abraham, and yet he means they have the writings. They have the word of God is what Abraham is telling the rich man. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Abraham, he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So what do we see here? There's a lot we could teach, but we're going to focus on specifically, we're talking about Jesus descending to the realm of the dead. Um, We need to clarify immediately, when Jesus went to hell, Jesus did not suffer in flames. Jesus did not suffer torment after the cross. When Jesus said, it is finished, he meant it is finished because it was finished. So Jesus did not go into torment. He did not go suffer anguish at the hands of demons or anything or flame or anything like that. When Jesus went to hell, 
Jesus went to this realm of the dead, this realm where we've got torment is taking place. And over here, we also see that Abraham's side, Abraham's bosom, this place of paradise. But what else do we see about this place? We see that Abraham was conscious. Abraham could see and communicate with those in hell. We see that there was a separation. And like I said, this has been called Abraham's bosom or Abraham's side or paradise. This was the place that Old Testament believers who were saved by faith were waiting for the Messiah. They didn't go into heaven before us. We would go in together through Christ, as Hebrews tells us. So Jesus opened the way to God through his death, and now those saints could ascend with Jesus to the Father. Go to Luke chapter 23. Turn a couple pages to the right. Some have argued that Jesus had to go to hell and Jesus had to suffer torment in hell in our substitute, in our place. Because if he didn't, if Jesus didn't go there, that seems like a logical point. If Jesus didn't go to hell and suffer in torment, then don't we still need to? And the answer is no, because the full wrath and fury of God was satisfied with the torment that Christ went through on the cross. It was. It was complete. It was thorough. It was absolute. And it was enough, which is why Jesus gave up his life at the right time and said, it's now finished. It's done. I have completed the work. Mission accomplished. I have absorbed the full fury and the wrath of God and shielded everybody else from it. So how else do we know Jesus didn't go into torment? Luke 23, verse 39. Jesus is on the cross One of the criminals who were hanging railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other man on the cross rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? We indeed justly, he's like, we're suffering for the right reason. We deserve it. We're receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say, today I've got some other work to go do still. I've got to go suffer the torment. No, but today you will join me in paradise. So the Lord Jesus is talking. We know that today this man was going to be with Jesus. The same exact day that they were hanging on the cross, he comforts him and says, you've been saved. You've put your faith in the Messiah, and you have been rescued by God's wonderful grace through your faith. So we see that this paradise that Jesus is mentioning, we know that this is the same place, this Abraham's bosom, this Abraham's side, this place of comfort. I'm going to take you one more place, and then we're moving on to the resurrection. Go to 1 Peter. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18 through 20. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, praise God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, 
in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. So what, do we, what else do we see happen here? So when Jesus goes down and he descended, we know that he descended into the underworld. He descended into this place of comfort. He descended into this place of also hell. Because how do we know? Well, he preaches to the spirits that are in prison. So why are we not going super deep into all this? Again, because the scriptures don't give us a ton of detail. So we're wise to say, well, here's what the word says. Here's what the word doesn't say. And there's still plenty of interpretation. around. Well, I think it meant this or I think he went there. But here's what we know. We know that Jesus went and he preached to those who were in prison. Why? Because they formally did not obey. So he preached to, to someone who had sinned during the days of Noah. There is, it's up for debate as to whether or not did he preach to the particular demon spirits that were most responsible for the wicked rebellion at that time. That would have been a unique thing. Uh, Because we know the demon spirits aren't yet imprisoned, right? They're free to roam about. And yet maybe some are imprisoned, the ones who joined with human women. uh, Or maybe he's preaching to all of them. We do know that what his message was to those in hell, it was not a message of good news to them. It was not a, hey guys, I broke you out. That was not it. It was a message of victory. It was a message of his conquering of sin. This is probably part of him triumphing over them in it triumphing over the evil spirits, triumphing over death, hell, and the grave because he has the keys to them all now. So what does it mean when we say Jesus descended into hell? That's, that's, all, that's about as far as I'm willing to go as a Christian and as a pastor. Like This is not a subject where I'll pound the pulpit and say, we can know this and this and this. We know God's word is true. We know God's word is safe. We know God's word is good. That's what I'm sure of. And beyond that, we know that he descended and we know that he released all the saints and that he made the way to the Father. There is no more Abraham's side. There is no more Abraham's bosom. All of the saints, old, new, and all to come, are with the Lord. This is why Paul doesn't say to be absent from the body is to be by Abraham and the rest of the, uh, the, rest of the believers. For now, in the new covenant, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When we die... We never die. We will live forever because of what Jesus has done. Amen. Turn to Luke chapter 9. The resurrection, the cornerstone of everything. If there's no resurrection, then there's no nothing. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, then everything is pointless. Because as we've often said, if it's not Jesus, it's not anybody. And if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, we have nothing. You have no hope. You have no future. Eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow you die. And you'll enter into oblivion. All of this apparently came from nothing, which came from nothing, which came from nothing. That's its own eternity that, you know, secularists don't bother dealing with in their, in their, uh, in their um, pride and their so-called logic. But we rejoice because Jesus really is alive and he really did come back from the dead. Luke chapter 9, verse 22 Saying, the Son of Man, this is Jesus talking, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Everybody, Jesus predicted his resurrection multiple times. He didn't blindside anybody with it. He told his disciples over and over and over. We have multiple occasions in the Gospels where he says, hey, I'm going to be crucified, but I'm going to be raised on the third day. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be raised on the third day. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be raised on the third day. And sometimes they're like, oh, what could this mean? It means I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to be raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. I'm not making up something new. I'm fulfilling something old. 
But still, unfortunately, on the third day, they weren't waiting with their Welcome Back Jesus posters or anything. They were like, no way, he's come back from the dead? Yeah, just like he said he would. Because all of his promises are true, and he keeps his word. Jesus was resurrected. Jesus came back from the dead. He predicted his resurrection, and then he follows through. We believe Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, and because of that, we believe that all of his other promises are true. Everything he said, everything he's done, we're secure. We take great comfort, and we know that if that one comes, then all the rest will follow. Anybody can prophesy, right? Any guy, anybody can say, I'm from God. Anybody can say anything. But Jesus did things. Jesus had acts of power. He had the confirmation of literally the Father's voice. He had the presence of the Holy Spirit. So he had his earthly ministry. And they said, give us a sign. Give us a sign. And you're thinking, he's given plenty of signs. He says, no sign will be given. No sign will be given to this wicked and adulterous generation except for the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah who descended into the depths of the earth for three days and then comes back out. That's what he said. That, he said, that's the sign that I'm going to give you. And he gave that one as well. No sign will be given except the greatest sign ever, the most important sign of all time. Go to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. I'm going to read to you from verse 1. We're going to read the whole narrative here of the resurrection. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. Why are we reading the whole portion? Because the word of God is powerful, it's alive, it's active, and it will bring you faith. Better than my sermon or my bullet points. And I could say, well, the Bible, Jesus is alive, and now let me put it in my own words. The word of God will actually bring along with it faith for you to believe it, to be encouraged, to be refreshed, and to say, that is solid. I can sink my heart into that. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran, and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken, a, taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head. Look at all the detail that John gives here as he's given the account of, it happened, I was there that day. This is why John, the one writing this gospel, was willing later to be boiled in oil. For the glory of God. They were saying, stop preaching Jesus. And he's saying, I can't. I can't. I was there. I was there. I saw the empty tomb. Yeah, but maybe somebody stole him away. And then I spent the next 40 days with him. And then what happened? And then he flew up into heaven. And then he continued to work miracles as he poured out the Holy Spirit. I can't shut up. Well, then we'll kill you. You may, you may try. They were unsuccessful. And finally, they, they kept trying to kill John. Eventually, they just sent him off to an island. They're like, just chain him up on some island where he can't get to anybody else. That was the best they could do. This is John. He believed in the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 8. Then the other disciple, Peter. Oh, sorry. Then John. Then the other disciple, that's John, talking about himself, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. 
Even though he'd been teaching them, they're still, they, they, they couldn't see it. They were still expecting the Messiah who was just going to come raise up an army, crush the Romans, and go, okay, it's Jewish world now. That's what they were looking forward to. That's what they wanted. They wanted the, that kind of dominance. Oh, the Lord is dominant. But they didn't understand the subversive kingdom, the way it was going to grow like a mustard seed. They didn't understand it yet, even though he had told them and shown them. And how it starts small, it's the smallest seed in the garden. But eventually, it covers everything, and all the birds can come, and it puts shade on everybody. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Verse 11, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him. I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, Don't cling to me, for I have yet... I have not yet ascended to, my, to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he said these things to her, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Yeah, I bet they were. <laughs> Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so, I'm sending you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Many theologians believe this is the moment that they were born again. That This is the first time anyone was born again. Do we know for sure? I don't know. But it's possible. We know at some point that they were made brand new, just like we all have to be. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. It's hard to imagine the joy and the ecstasy that, that we would have been experiencing. Are you kidding me? Is this real? We've spent the past three years with you. You died. It was all over. We've seen a lot of people crucified. But now you're with us again. This is happening. And not only is this happening, this one that we love so dearly, like how crazy must it have been for those in the front row to realize the significance of this moment of history? Like the whole universe was built by you. And here you are with me. And I get to be, I've walked with you. I know you. I love you. You're calling me into your mission. It's so significant. It's so overwhelming. This is the same joy that should fill our hearts. Because Jesus is calling you. He draws all men to himself as he is lifted up. He calls everybody and says, yeah, I love you like that. I love you like the twelve. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place... And place my hand into his side. He's saying, because I know what they did with that spear. Unless I can see all that, I will never believe. Eight days later, 
His disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, <laughs> I like how he calls him out right away. He's like, hey, Thomas, you weren't here the other day. I love you, man. He's like, hey, you've been, you've been saying some stuff? You, I know what you said. Hey, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. And put out your hand and place it into my side. No, I'm okay. I don't need to. I'd rather not now. <laughs> Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him. Poor Thomas always gets a bad rap, right? But Thomas gets it right here. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are all those in Salt Church who have not seen, but they still believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Thomas also believed in the, in the resurrection of Jesus. So much so that Thomas goes on to uh, disciple and evangelize all of India. Uh, Thomas, if I remember correctly, he gets killed by... It wasn't pleasant, I remember that. Um, I think he gets shot with arrows, I think was Thomas's execution. Why? He did it joyfully. Why? So I can attain a better resurrection. Shut up. Quit talking about Jesus. I can't. I was there. I put my fingers through his hands. I thrust my hand into his side. The resurrection of Jesus is a logical event. It is a historical event. It is an actual event. Jesus's body is not on the earth. Jesus's body ascended. He, his feet left the planet and he ascended into heaven. And they watched. And then the angels were there and said, why are you looking up into the sky? And he said, he's going to come back the same way that you've seen him go. All of his promises are true. Everything's going to happen exactly the way he said it will. How do you know? Because he proved it all with the resurrection. The resurrection is the absolute stamp of approval for everything else that Jesus has done. Jesus is alive. He stays on the earth 40 days after the resurrection. He appears to over 500 people during that time. Then he ascends into heaven while his disciples are watching. From there, they go on to turn the world upside down because Jesus is present tense alive, proving his identity and earning victory over the, the last part of Adam's curse, which is death. So the resurrection gives Jesus' death the divine endorsement of God. The Godhead gives the divine endorsement of Jesus' death. Well, Jesus died for my sins. Yeah, but a lot of people died on a cross. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people died on the cross. There wasn't just one person who died on the cross. Jesus is the only person who ever died on the cross. Not true, not even close. Tens of thousands of people, hundreds maybe, of thousands of people died on the cross. What made this guy so different? Well, it was the three-day-later thing that made him so different. That's what proved. Did he die for my sins? I don't know, but he sure died. The three days later, we now see the stamp of the Father's approval saying, his sacrifice has been received. Your debt has been paid. So plenty died on a cross, but only one had the power to take up his own life again. Plenty have died on the cross, but only one had innocent blood to cleanse us all. Plenty died on the cross, but only one defeated death, hell, and the grave and holds the keys to them all. And only one reigns on the throne to this day. Because of the resurrection, we believe our sins are forgiven. Because of the resurrection, we believe Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. Because he told us. He said, if it wasn't so, I would have told you. 
You can trust Jesus' word. Because Jesus has been resurrected, we believe that he's coming back again. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I don't know where I left you, but that's where you're going. 1 Corinthians 15. Paul writing to the Corinthian church, bringing encouragement, bringing correction. There was question. He's all, most of Paul's letters are dealing with correction, false doctrine. Hey, somebody is starting to say that Jesus wasn't really resurrected bodily. He was like resurrected spiritually. Like he's resurrected, but not really. So Paul's bringing some correction and some reminders here. Now I would remind you, brothers, chapter 15, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the true word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. He means died physically. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So remember, Paul had been murdering, he had been killing, he had been persecuting, and he's saying, and Jesus in his mercy, in his sovereign will, kicks me, knocks me off of my high horse, and saves me as well. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I've worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but by the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. His point is, I've preached the resurrection to you. And remember, all all the others have seen the Lord. He says, I've seen the Lord too. He came to me. I was eagerly persecuting and harassing the church, and now I'm eagerly going to go give my head to Nero in the name of Jesus. And nobody will shut me up either. Do you think the disciples would die for a lie? Plenty of people die because they're deceived. There are plenty of Muslims who have killed themselves because they think they're going to receive a greater resurrection, a greater life on the other side. That's deception. That's different. The disciples weren't deceived and they weren't confused. They didn't turn the world upside down. They didn't go give their lives unto the death because of a lie. Hey, guys, best prank ever. I have an idea. Gather around. Have you all seen the the Babylon Bee did a piece? They did a sketch on that. It was the disciples after the resurrection. Like, okay, I know he's dead, but check this out. I got an idea, okay? Okay? And and I forget which disciple, but he's sharing the whole story. Like, we're going to go around the world, and then we're going to die gruesome deaths while preaching this, this fake story. And the other side was like, why? Like, it's going to be awesome. Just trust me. But that's what they did. They went around preaching the truth. They died gruesome deaths. And they said, I can't shut up. I won't shut up. He's worthy. Peter, Peter, the one who was cowardly and denied the Lord, he eventually, when they were going to crucify him, they said, we're going to crucify you just like your Lord was crucified then. He says, I'm not worthy to be crucified like the Lord Jesus. Crucify me upside down. Ooh, that's a rough day, man. It was already going to be bad. But Peter's like, hey, guys, I tell you what. Could you crucify me upside down 
so that I, I'm not worthy to be crucified like the Lord Jesus was. Was he doing it for a lie? No. He was doing it because he had seen the Lord, because Jesus Christ is alive, Lord and Master of all. Where were we? I got to preaching. Okay, um, chapter 15, verse 12 now. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So there was also the the false teaching that we're not going to be raised from the dead, that when we die, uh, we're in Abraham's bosom at best, uh, but but there's not going to be an ultimate resurrection for us. So he's bringing that correction. He's saying, "Hang hang on, if we're not resurrected, then Christ wasn't resurrected, but he was the first to be resurrected. Verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised that our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that, we, that the dead are not raised. For if the dead cannot be raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people... We are, of all people, most to be pitied. He's saying, if we only have hope in Christ while we're alive on the planet, while our body is alive, we're pitiful. We deserve, we deserve pity and mercy from people. Not mocking and scorn. We're, we're helpless and hopeless. But if, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for as... For, sorry, let me read this again. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So he is the first to be raised from the dead in resurrection. He resuscitated people. He resurrected Lazarus only for Lazarus to die again. He, re- he resurrected little boys, little girls, other people who had died only for them to die again. For them to live out their natural life. But Jesus is resurrected with a resurrected body. For as by one, for by one man came death, so by one man came the resurrection from the dead. So Adam got us into this mess. Jesus gets us all the way out. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. The resurrection of Jesus turns scattered disciples into faithful apostles who joyfully die for the name of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus turns dead men alive. The resurrection of Jesus fills cowards with courage. The resurrection of Jesus makes sinners into saints. The resurrection of Jesus makes selfish people generous. The resurrection of Jesus sends his people into the harvest. When you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, what's so practical about this? Uh, It's everything. Without the resurrection, Friday doesn't even matter. Well, He was beaten. He suffered. Yeah, but did the Lord accept his suffering? Is he actually king? Is he actually Lord of heaven and earth? Does he have the power of death, hell, and the grave? Because if he doesn't, there's no chance for you and me. But he is alive, and he is reigning. We'll close with this in Ephesians chapter 1. Turn to the right a few pages. Ephesians 1. This is the prayer that Paul was writing to the Ephesians. He's saying, this is what I'm praying for you. 
verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus is alive. Paul knew it. The disciples knew it. They believed it. And we believe it. That's why we say what we believe. If you want a new life, Jesus tells you how to get it. Take up your cross, follow me in death, and I will make you new. I will bring you through resurrection. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever, come, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked the question, do you believe this? Salt Church, do you believe this? Stand to your feet. If you have a copy of the Creed, we're going to read it together. If you know it, that's great. If you don't have one, I'm sorry. I didn't print enough today. So I'll do better next week. Here we go together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He, descend, he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.